0: sports moms have something to say
1: yes we do we'll have a chance to interview across the board from athletes to the parents to the coaches to even the trainers and we're not afraid to share this. we're not afraid to tell other moms what we went through in order to raise up a student athlete so I believe that it's inspirational we able to tell
0: our story the good and the bad yeah.
1: Give back positive information. Absolutely. You know, we can empower them. Yeah. I think it's time for the mothers to be a voice. Yeah. That's it. It's time for us to to let you know what's going on. what's up what's up it's your i'm gonna do it like shannon what's up what's up it's your girl karen, on can we talk sports and i am here with my host
0: kawashika how are you
1: <laughs> shannon's probably gonna die laughing because most of the time when she you know she got that energy and we're trying, right. trying to do it like her and i'll be like karen <laughs> i'm on <laughs> it down <laughs> yeah. What's going on, Kawashika?
0: Ooh, just a lot of resting. I think, you know, God just, ugh, he had us in this place where we need to rest. Get <laughs> ready for this new week. I just believe there's this about to be some great things happening this week. So I'm excited. I am excited. You got to speak those things in existence.
1: That's right. That's right. (laughs) I feel it too. I just feel like I'm on the verge of something great. Yes. Don't give up. Don't give
0: up.
1: (laughs) I feel it too. I'm I'm just like, okay, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But I just feel like I'm just on the verge of my greatness. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. It's it's, so, it's we here we right there. Don't give yes. up. Don't give up.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. So, what you got planned for this week? Oh,
0: a lot, a lot of business calls. Um. um I can't allow, I can't tell everything right now, but, um, yeah, a lot of business calls, a lot of working on, uh, self Still, I, I just think that's very important, uh, for us as a whole, you know, uh, and, and we'll see, we'll see what happens, you know, a lot of new connections. I just, I mean, I'm telling you, it's going to be big. It's just like, you don't know, but you know, right? Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. You, you know, you just um, you know, you give it unto Him who's able to do exceeding right. abundantly above all we can ask or think. And so in that, you just like, okay, I know you're about to do something because right. that's what the Word says. So I know and it's just like you're just holding on to it. So yeah. uh, I I feel it, I, and you know, I am too focusing on um, self care. Uh, Taking care of myself because you know, you know I've been working from home, and so at one point I was like, you know, I was begging for my job to let me work from home. Mm. But now that I'm working from home, I'm ready to go. I would re- would rather go back to the office because you just sit here and you mm-hmm. sit here and you eat and you sit here and. And it takes away from any kind of moving, any t- type of a- activities. Yeah. I is none, and so my, you know, my feet was starting to swell, and I'm like, okay. And then my boss was calling me and saying that five hours mandatory overtime, and I was like, no, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. Yeah. And so he had the nerve to say, last year you did thirty hours, and I told him that was before COVID nineteen. That was before I realized how precious life was. That was before I gained weight from working from home. That was before I had a grandbaby, and that's before my feet started to swelling. Right.
0: Wow. And he didn't
1: respond wow. to me no more.
0: <laughs> oh, like okay, that's no say, <laughs> right?
1: Right. Yeah. Me on is the this...
0: other hand, yeah.
1: Go I was ahead. Say
0: me, yes. Yeah, me on the other hand, Miss Karen is totally different. Um, this past week our our team at work had a meeting and um, we're not coming back it's gonna be a while and so we they really don't know when we're coming back and so you know he asked you know my supervisor asked do anybody got questions do they want to say anything about and I'm, I'm, I'm in my heart I'm like I gotta talk I gotta speak up okay. and so I let him know I said you know what, I'm going to be honest with you. Since I've been home, since I've been home, I've been been doing phenomenal in my performance. I mean, just being transparent, you know, and, you know, for one, safety for the kids, because I don't want to go back into a workplace and then come back and bring it back to my home, my kids. So that's number one. And number two, I am doing a awesome job in in, in, in my uh performance, right? So I want to stay home. This was a blessing for me. You know, right before COVID hit and I was just telling the Lord, I said, Lord, I am woke out. Mm. I am. I go here, I go there, I do this, I do that. And it just, you know, I hate, you know, in a situation, you know, bad things, but the word says, all things work together for the good of those who love you. It
1: has no
0: purpose. So this is, this work from home is totally different for me. Of course, I have to deal with a little one, but I can manage that. Listen, Mm -hmm. at least I know she's safe. You know and then you know like i say i'm just doing a phenomenal job so this is actual blessing for me and i thank god for it so i'm, I'm sorry miss karen i can't agree
1: <laughs> <laughs> well uh i have worked 30 years so it's time for me right. to move on somewhere else so uh they, you know they they're tired of my mouth they're tired of my yeah. my mouth but uh Right. Now, I am I grateful. I am grateful. You yeah. know, I truly know it was God that gave me that job, and I'm definitely grateful to have it. It's just right. that I, you know, the season. I, I believe the season is is up right now. So, it, yeah. But uh, but COVID nineteen is trying to creep back out. Right. We need right. To, to go back in. Right, cause we ready That's to right. come out. <laughs> That's right. I'm ready to get out and start working out and doing some other things other than being locked up in the house. Um, right. But there was some good things that COVID-19 it caused people to, you know, have to have some quality time with their families. You know, right. and some things that it made us think of in a whole nother level. You know, everybody's online and doing mm. lives and stuff like that. So. That's right, up and down. But I am excited for our guest on the show tonight. We have a um, basketball coach. Wow, basketball coaches or talk basketball. But anyway, we we have a basketball coach, and so we're excited to bring him on the show. We're gonna call him Coach Ryan because I'm gonna have to let him pronounce that last name. I don't want to mess it up. (laughs) But welcome to the show, Coach Ryan. Hey, Coach.
2: Thanks for having me on. Great to be here.
1: Glad to have you on, man. What is going on? Right. In the football and in, in the basketball world. I'm, i say football in the basketball world. What is going on?
2: Oh, the same everywhere else. Trying to figure out this COVID nineteen when we can get back to hooping and, and playing and uh, that's that's about the same all over the place, I think.
1: Well, how about you start out telling us a little bit about yourself and start out by saying, pronouncing your last name and then tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah, so uh, Kruger, like Freddy Kruger, I get that a lot. So that's the easy way to remember it. But uh, I was in coaching for about 19 years. I've coached in prep school. I coached, uh, you know, in the New England prep school for a few years. I've coached in the DC public school for a few years. Uh, coached in Division One at, at the low, major, mid, major, and high major levels at at Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma, Rutgers, at Virginia Commonwealth University, at Lehigh University, um, you know. And I've been fortunate enough to spend some time in the NBA. Spent four years with the New Jersey Nets, and uh, spent four years in the G League, the NBA G League, with the Detroit Pistons team in Grand Rapids, the Grand Rapids Drive. So I've uh, been fortunate to work for a lot of people and see a lot of different ways to do things and. Uh, get to coach the, the game of basketball at a lot of different levels, which uh, has been great to see and great to experience.
1: Now, with all of that uh, experience, uh, did you play basketball?
2: So I played. I'm very slow and that's not a good thing in basketball. <laughs> so I, I, I wanted to play in college, but I knew coaching was more my speed. So I quickly figured that out and, and worked, uh, worked my way towards that goal instead.
0: What position I- you played?
2: So I played on the wing. I was uh just just a little slow. I could shoot that thing, but everything else was was a little bit of a struggle. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now you um you know, we on the show we talk about uh the backup plan for our athletes, having a backup plan if things don't work out. Can you kind of tell us what was it that happened in your life to make you say, hey. It's, it may not work out as far as, uh, I don't know, college level or MBA level. Uh, I need to focus more on the coaching. What happened in your life that made you make that turn?
2: Yeah, so I, I think uh, the influence of my parents was, was probably the biggest thing. And I always wanted to play basketball in North Carolina. I was obsessed with the Tar Heels, still, still am. But there was a point in high school where I realized uh, I still may be able to play college basketball maybe not but if I do it's still probably not going to be it uh, as a tar heel so you know I kind of switched my focus up to, to a different level of division one uh, and then started opening my eyes to, to division three as well but uh, ever since I was little uh, my, my family has always preached the value of, of academics and how that carries with you no matter what happens in, in athletics or, or anything else so uh, one, one day you're gonna be too old to play basketball to play football to run a route or to you know, kick a soccer ball, whatever it may be, they'll never be able to take uh, your education away from you. When you're 60, uh, you'll still have that that, that incredible education. So uh, I always knew the value of that. And I think constantly, and, you know, I didn't always want to hear it as a kid. You know, I want to be a target. I want to be an NBA draft pick, you know, mom. But uh, when you hear it enough and you see your brother and your sister value that, uh, um, you know, and go to really good schools and value their education and, uh, you kind of just one day it just clicks with you. And that was, you know, I'm I'm forever indebted to them, my entire family, but especially my parents for, for that.
1: Now do, is that the kind of coaching style that you had when you, uh, had kids that you were coaching the, did you kind of stay on the importance of education and kind of teach and bred that into those athletes?
2: So I, I did, I think no matter how talented you are, I think your education is, is really important. You know, one, one thing I I feel like coaches try to limit players in, in one way or another too, too many times. And I heard too many people tell me, I'm never gonna be an NBA player. And, and for me, it was true. But I've also heard people tell uh, other players, you're not gonna be an NBA player. And they went on to become NBA players. And I've heard them say, you're not a division one, you know, athlete, you're not gonna get a scholarship. And they went on to get a scholarship. So um, to me, that that's just the wrong approach to take. And I, I think you use athletics for, for everything that, that you can get from it. And if you can become a professional, whether that's in the NBA or if that's you know playing in, in a top league in Italy or somewhere, if someone's going to pay you money, good money, to play the game of basketball, uh, I, I think you have to do everything you can to make that, make that happen. Also, at the same time, I think you can also – prepare for your future by you know h- having a backup plan and right. you know valuing your education having a plan after your your, your career is over so um, now I, I just had a hard time with people trying to short sell uh, players and and, and maybe squashing some of their dreams because we as coaches don't always know I coached a kid at Lehigh University who very few teams recruited who's now an NBA potential all-star and has made over $100 million playing the game of basketball. So 99.99% of players that they, they come to Lehigh or they play in the, the league that he was in have no chance to ever play in the NBA. So, so many coaches are right to say you probably won't, but they'd be wrong to say that about this this kid. So, you know, t- take take athletics, take sports for, for whatever you can can get from it, uh, and then just always have that, that backup plan, and, and education should be a big part of that
0: right that is so good that is so good what came to me what came to me real quick coach uh when you was talking about the short sale yeah you know i didn't realize that there are not coaches i didn't realize till now coaches do that but teachers um tell a lot of you know kids that they're not going to be nothing and i'm just wondering why you know is that a personal thing you know
2: 'Cause that, that's how a do good, you know? Do you yeah. see in
0: their future? You that, mad at them at that time they didn't do their assignment. I'm sorry.
2: No, no, no. You you're, you're exactly right. I, I've never understood uh anybody, you know, trying to trying to short self somebody or put somebody else down. To me, what gets lost in coaching is uh the impact that believing in a player can have on them and building their confidence and seeing their confidence change. Um I had a player at, at the G League level who was potentially an NBA player, uh, tell him that it it was the first time in five years that he thought a coach had believed in him. And it it blew my mind, but I don't think it's all that uncommon because this guy was all league at the division one level. He was, uh, one of the best players, you know, in the G league at the time. And the five years prior to that, he felt like no one believed in him. So how, how, how much motivation can you have, uh, how can you pursue your dreams? How can you give it everything you have when you feel like people don't believe in you and people don't have confidence in you? And I think a big part of that, and, and I don't know the full reason is, but i just seen coaches at, at every level and teachers and, and leaders do the things uh, or use the techniques that people used on them and because that's all they know. But uh, th- there has to be a better way. So, so one of my philosophies in coaching was, Just to every single day be trying to find the best way to do something and i just felt like building people up was a better way to do things than something i had seen or something a famous coach had done or bobby knight yells at his players so i need to yell at my players that's just not my personality that's not what would motivate me when people yell and scream and curse me out that doesn't make me play harder or uh, try and fulfill my potential more someone that believes in me someone that builds me with Fills me with confidence, uh, and then every once in a while, you have to be able to hold kids accountable. So, so coaches have to have to be able to get on kids, no doubt about it. But just that constant berating, putting kids down—I don't think that brings out the best in anybody, uh, let alone young kids.
1: See, I thought that was a way that men deal with boys. You know, is is making them tough and brave. Is you know how they you know talk to the boys, and so. You know, it's like the mommy stay back. Let the men deal with the men. And I thought that's just a way you deal with a young man as far as talking to him crazy.
2: So, you know, I, I don't want to say one one way is, is better than the other. I wouldn't want my kids to play in a system like that. And I know in, in football it's different than in sports like wrestling where toughness and uh, that, that's how it's always been. So I understand where, where it comes from but it still doesn't make sense to me. You know, it, someone, it, 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 if someone came to work and yelled and screamed and cursed me out every day, it wouldn't make me do my job any better. It wouldn't make me work harder. It wouldn't make me want to fulfill my goals and dreams. Uh, Someone's filling me with confidence, telling me that they believed in me over and over, even when I, I, I didn't wasn't performing on my best. That's what works for me. That's what I've seen have have, a, uh, have success with with young people. So. You know, that's just my personal preference. Everybody, Bobby Knight won a lot of games, uh, yelling and cursing and throwing chairs. So I'm not here to pass judgment, but that's just not, I, I think, I think kids are different these days. I think uh, our society is different and we as coaches have to adapt. We as leaders have to adapt. We can't just say, this is what was done to me. This is what was done to my father, my grandfather. So that's what I'm going to do. That, that's not the best way to do it. The best way to do it is to reevaluate and see what's the best way for these kids today.
0: Yeah, totally different generation, totally different. They can't take what we have, you know, have endured in the past. So I totally, totally agree with you on that. Yes, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So, so coach, by you being a college coach and an NFL coach, do you have that eye where you can really see talent at a young age? You can see somebody and say, He's going to be in the NFL, uh, NBA.
2: So I think, I think one of the, the, the hardest things in all of sports, at any, any sport, at any level, is evaluation. Because so many things can change. And I mean, I just I go back to the kid C.J. McCollum, who, who's a star for the Portland Trailblazers right now. There are, there are 100 high major Division one schools that wanted absolutely no part of recruiting him. He's from uh, he's from Ohio. Ohio State had no interest. Michigan State had no interest. And he came to Lehigh. And as as a freshman, he was conference player of the year. It was like top 15 in the country in scoring. So by by his junior year, he's he's on NBA draft radar. Um, You know, so to be able to look at kids, I think so many things go into. Into the evaluation process, and I think it's incredibly hard to get it right consistently. And I think it's very, very easy to, to get it wrong. And because again, I think we, 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 we sell kids short or don't see, Hey, maybe, maybe he's not in the right system or maybe he's not playing for the right coach, or maybe, uh, you know, maybe he is more talented and, you know, maybe, maybe the head coach's son is the point guard and just doesn't pass the ball, or there's a hundred things. Uh, that they, they could be the reason for someone not shining or, or uh, showcasing their full potential. So I, I think for me, you know, when I saw CJ McCullum, I had no part in recruiting him. But when he showed up at Lehigh, I, I did not say this guy is a surefire first first round NBA draft pick. Now, there was a point where I said, oh, this kid has a chance to play in the NBA. And then I said, this, this kid definitely going to play in the NBA. But it took it took some time and I, I got to see him every single day. Um, so I, I just think people underestimate the difficulty that goes into evaluating talent um, at at all sports. I think football has got to be one of the toughest. They don't even get to see the football players in in just football games. I I know football coaches go to evaluate them at basketball games in the winter and wrestling matches and track events. And, you know, what does track have to do with with football? I mean, I guess speed and all those things, I've never been a part of it. But uh, to not even be watching them play their sport, that, that's just got to be an incredibly difficult process. But uh, I do think some people, you know, they keep an open mind, uh, you know, have more likelihood of success about eva- properly evaluating student athletes than, than other people who watch them once he has a bad game and they just say, he's not tough enough. He could never play for me. Or he's not a shooter. You know, I, I've said a basketball games where the best shooter I've ever seen went like one for 10 from three. And our, our coach said, this guy can't shoot. I said, Coach, you gotta trust me on this one. I've seen him 20 times. This was this was the worst I've ever seen him shoot. You know, he he could be the best shooter in our league, but because you know either we're short-sighted or you know fixed on on this or that, uh, we don't you know uh, we don't put everything into the evaluation process that it takes. And and it's harder than than coaching. It's harder than most things we do as. As coaches and and i think it's the most important thing because if you get the right players if you get the right talent i can make some mistakes as a coach uh and we're still going to be okay because we have nba player we have a cj McCollum, we have we have the right players i can have a bad player i can you know mess up a a timeout or, or miss something our players are still really good they're, they're gonna they're gonna make me look good and cover up for me so um Evaluation is, is critical. I think it's the most important thing we do. And I think you have to put as much as you can into the process because I don't think there's anything more important than 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 the people in your program, whether that's the, the coaches you hire or, or the players that you sign and recruit.
1: Mm. Now, tell me about the G League. Tell me what the NBA G League is and how did you become a coach
2: yeah so the the g league is is a fast growing league and you know it's uh it's basically the nba minor leagues and it grew from something that not many people had heard of or knew of uh a league that the nba didn't didn't pay a whole lot of attention to to something that every nba team uh in 2020 values pours money into and you know really sees the value in having this opportunity to develop players and it's incredible to me that the percentage of nba players who have either g-league experience or have come through the g-league in in some form or fashion i i, I believe it's over 40 percent so if you look at at the 450 or however many nba players there are to know that you know uh, over 40 percent of them at one point have either been in the g-league have used the g-league in some shape or fashion Uh, It shows the importance of the G League and it grows every every single year. There's more televised games. There's more uh, two way players signed. There's there's just an incredible importance uh, attached to the to the G League. And that's that's a great thing. I think it helps the game of basketball. I think it helps NBA players or NBA teams. And I think just a a really important resource for the game of basketball to have a minor league system here here in the States where players want to play and they don't want to go. Um, you know, they don't want to go to Germany. They don't want to go to France or Italy. They want to stay here in the States. You know, they want to, um, they want to live in, in in the States and they want to play against, uh, you know, the best basketball players on, on the planet that we have here. And, you know, it's a, uh, it's an incredible resource that the NBA has has built into something really valuable.
1: So the G league is, uh, is, is came into play to keep players from going to another country and play. So it's now like, Having that that step down team teams from the NBA that play here in the states.
2: Is yeah, it, so it's really a unique uh, league because th- there's a lot of different types of players playing in the G League. Uh, most teams have, have two-way NBA players. That was just instituted a, a couple of years ago. So these are NBA players who most of their time is spent playing in the G League, but technically they're they're part of the the Washington Wizards, they're part of the Dallas Mavericks, but uh, most of their days are going to be spent with the G League team. So it's mm-hmm. uh, it's a resource for, for that NBA team to get these guys playing opportunities where they'd obviously never play you know, at the NBA level. They're, they're getting real game experience and getting to make mistakes and grow through that and, and learn and, and improve their, their skills. So uh, you have those type of players. Uh, typically you have some unsigned free agents who are very close to become an NBA player, and uh, even if they play for the Dallas Mavericks G League team, they're, they're they're a free agent. So you know the Atlanta Hawks could come in and say, "We like this guy. We have a spot to open on our roster. He's been playing really well in the G League. We'd like to offer him a contract." Uh, so that's 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 really a cool thing. So it hurts your team when when one of your players gets signed, but our goal in in Grand Rapids was never to win the championship. That was something we were always trying for, but our goal every day was to help put our players in a better situation and if them leaving our team in, in Grand Rapids hurt our team but helped them get an NBA contract that was a win for everybody so um, you know and then you have some players that that are just kind of filling out the roster that are uh, that were very good division one players that are trying to use this opportunity maybe as a bench player uh, to position themselves to get a, a, a more lucrative contract over in Europe you know maybe their, their goal may actually be to go to overseas and play for, for $80,000 or try to get a $100,000 contract, things, things like that. So you kind of have all these ends of the spectrum, and it's kind of a unique place because everybody is trying to showcase themselves. Right. So you get a lot of different mindsets, and you get a lot of different people, you know, trying to showcase themselves. They're, they're, they're hearing from a lot of different people. Their agents telling them one thing. Their college coaches telling them one thing. And then my job is try to get everybody to, to play the right way, to share the basketball, to play together. Uh, and it, right. it, it's a difficult challenge, but I was fortunate we had great high character uh, players in, in Grand Rapids. And our thing was um, we all shine brightest when we all shine. So, you know, when, when, when everybody was shining, we were making each other look better and they we won a lot of games and they covered up a lot of my mistakes. And, and I got a lot of credit because we won some games and, made the playoffs and, and things like that. But um, that was because we had really good players who, who bought in and listened to what I had to say. And, you know, that, it was a really cool experience for me, but it's a great opportunity for basketball uh, in the States because it's something that, that we've never had. And I think a great resource. All right.
0: You said something awesome, uh, Coach. They listen to you. So your team has to be coachable right
2: i mean that's a a big part
0: right
2: without a doubt and and the interesting thing to me i I love coaching professionals i love coaching grown men i've I've coached high school and and college and and i loved everywhere i've ever been the the players are the reason uh i'm in it that's why we're supposed to be coaching but the great thing about professionals and you know grown men they never just listened to me or did what i said because i was the coach and i thought that was great i had to earn their trust and their respect they had to be they, they they had to be doing things because it made sense to them because it would help them because they knew i believed in them because uh a million things and i think that's different at high school you have to do what the coach says because he's the coach and you're just this 15 year old kid and you know I, I i don't i don't love that you know uh i think there's a lot of great coaches out there but i think there's some coaches who who abuse that, that privilege that we have as as coaches? And I think the the younger the players we coach, um, you know, the harder it is for for kids to speak up when when something's not right or or things like that. But um, you know, it, 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 there was a back and forth trust that had to be earned from from the players because you know that they were guys with potentially NBA contracts on the line and you know i took over at the start of the season after after we played uh 12 games and they knew i was a nice guy and, and and all those things but they didn't know what i would be like as a head coach and you know they, they bought in they gave me an opportunity to coach them they gave me an opportunity to make some mistakes own up to my mistakes um you know they did the same and that that was one of our key tenants as well was 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 taking taking responsibility for for ourselves and when i when i made mistakes uh, those got highlighted in, in the coach's film session, you know, so I didn't want the film sessions to be about, you know, just the players not doing this and the players not doing that and you guys aren't doing this. That, that blows my mind. We're all in this together, and, you know, we, we started a lot of film sessions with, with the mistakes I made in the game the night before, and then I highlighted, look, fellas, we, we still came out of here with a double and that W because you guys made me look good. You, you covered up my mistakes. Hopefully I did some things. They put you guys in good positions. And I made some good calls or or, or things like that. And it really built a trust, I, I felt like, with the players and a mutual respect, which, um, you know, I, I think is, is the way it should be. But, you know, again, a lot of different ways to, to skin a cat and a lot of ways to coach uh, to coach athletics.
1: Now, uh, wh- what is the average salary for the, the players in the G League?
2: So it's not a lot. Uh, it's a lot more than it used to be. Some players in the G League, when I started uh, five years ago, were making $13,000, and that was, you know, some players were making 13, some were making 19, and others were making, I think it was 25. And that, and that at that time, five years ago, was considerably better than it had been prior to that. Now everybody makes, I believe, it's $35,000 for about six months. They get free housing and free, you know, health insurance and and the like. So. Pretty good, not great. You know, I think there's still some work that can be done done there. But you know, not everybody's getting hundred and two hundred thousand dollar offers to go overseas. So thirty five thousand dollars for six months of work with with uh, free housing and, and insurance to get an opportunity to showcase yourself in the states in, in this country uh, is a pretty good opportunity. And then you know, the other tricky part is those two way players that I talked about. They make a, a pro rated NBA salary. And I don't know the exact details, but they're making, I, I don't know if it's $250,000 or, or somewhere around there. So there's a tricky dynamic where you have these NBA two way players, you know, that make considerably more money, uh, that are probably getting most of the minutes, getting most of the shots and the touches and things like that. And they're not always with the team. They might be with the NBA team and then just show up for a, a G league game. So, um, we would have g league players with us every day grinding practicing hard um you know traveling in in, in tiny planes and connections and uh, all this kinds of stuff and, and 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 leaving their heart and soul on the floor every day for us and, and for themselves to better themselves to give themselves an opportunity so there's a real a real strange dynamic and again that can go that can go south pretty quickly so i was i was fortunate to have talented players who were high character guys who never—they um, pushed each other, they motivated each other, but they—they uh, they were there to help each other, and they knew that again, if we all shine the brightest when we all shine, they knew that if one of us helped each other, we all look better, and that's—it's that's not always the case in the G League. So I was—I was very fortunate.
1: Now let me understand this. Okay, so you have the NBA draft, and the, and they draft so many players, and but you can only have fifteen. 15- players on a team. So the, the NBA team gets their 15 players and whoever is left, they automatically go to the G league or how does that process work?
2: Yeah. So for, yeah, it's kind of, kind of tricky for a long time. NBA teams had 15 players. That, that's all you could have. And they just stayed with the NBA team all the time a few years ago. And I don't know if it was three or two or four years ago, they added they basically added two players to NBA rosters. So NBA rosters now have 17 players on the roster. Two of those players are, are what they call two these two-way players. And there's a, a limit to the number of days that these two-way players can be with the NBA team. And what that does is it, it kind of forces teams to, to leave them with their, their G League affiliate uh, most of the year. Uh, if the player if, if the NBA team has some injuries and or if the, the G League, or if the two-way player is just playing incredibly well, at any time they can call him up uh, to, to the NBA club and he's eligible to play in those NBA games. A lot of times teams are using that from a developmental uh, perspective. A guy that they think has a chance to be an NBA player that might not be there yet to, you know, get some NBA uh, experience to, to play professional basketball in their system and with their coaches to see if they can actually, you know, become a full-time NBA player.
1: Hmm. Okay. Cause that's it's almost <laughs> like the bull pit for the baseball, how the pitcher they can pull them up. They go back there in practice, but they can always make that call and pull them up and they gotta be ready to play. Exactly. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so um What, what do you do outside of, um, basketball? What else do you like to do?
2: So, you know, the, the thing about me, uh, I I always wanted to be in the NBA. I wanted to do things at the highest level. And I got a taste of that working with the New Jersey Nets and working with hall of famers like Jason Kidd and Vince Carter, Richard Jefferson. And and I was very, very fortunate. And all it did was, was make me want to work even harder because, I knew that's where I, where I wanted to be. And it's incredibly difficult to, one, get your foot in the door. And then even still, once you do get your foot in the door to stay at, at that level. Um, you know, Division One coaching is very hard. And there's 350 coaching staffs in, in, in Division One. There's, there's only 30 NBA teams. So, um, you know, what I realized was I'm not somebody that's, you know, I, I don't have anything special about me. My, my father doesn't coach in the NBA. I didn't play in the NBA. I'm not a superstar. Um, I'm just a guy that, that works really hard. That's all I've ever had going for me. So uh, I kind of decided I had to dedicate myself to to the game of basketball, and I'm I'm going to sacrifice a lot of other things, whether it was uh, friends or dating or or social life and all those kinds of things. And I'm going to chase. I'm going to chase be, being a professional coach, and you know, it's uh, it's worked for me. Uh, I've, I've been fortunate, but I don't do a whole lot of things outside of basketball. I, I, I love the game. I love my players and I love my family. And I just, you know, unfortunately I wish I got to do a lot of of other things, but at the same time, you know, I got to be a professional basketball coach and I got to be uh, in an NBA huddle and I got to take part in the NBA playoffs and, and be in NBA locker rooms and coach NBA players and, uh, and to be a head coach in professional basketball in the G league and to make the playoffs. So, um, I think when you really, really want something, you, you gotta sacrifice for it. And and I have no regrets about missing out on some, some other activities that, that would have been fun, hanging out with my buddies, trips they got to take, uh, because most of them say, man, I wish I was was a basketball coach and I wish I worked in the NBA and, and all those things. So uh, I, I really just focus on on basketball and when I have any free time, uh, I take too much of it coaching basketball. So I, I, I try to spend every, free second I have with my family and, and my, my kids.
1: Okay. So now we have COVID-19 and one of the things that we ask our guests, especially coaches and players is what if there's no more sports, you know, that, you know, being a professional coach is your dream, but what if sports is taken away? What would,
2: what would you do? Yeah. So that's, that's a great question something i i don't like thinking about i don't like when you put it that way Sport, life with no sports is is tough it's to, <laughs> tough to comprehend no football on saturdays and man no world cup and no baseball and no nba that's 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 not a world i'm i'm too excited about but uh you know that that's a possibility but it, it comes back to you know always being prepared and what do you have to fall back on you know what what was your education what else can you do um you know to to prepare to provide for your family and and things like that so what i've realized i when i started out i say hey, my goal is to be uh i always wanted to be a college head coach i wanted to coach at you know north carolina something like that and then i realized hey there might be something even better I, i'd like to coach in the nba that would be that'd be amazing and and i got an opportunity to, to do that not a head coach but um so what i've realized in my 19 years of coaching is you know it went. My goals changed a lot from the level I wanted to coach at and and who I wanted to coach to uh, reprioritizing what what was important. And the thing I realized was helping people and, and helping mostly mostly players and student athletes was what fulfilled me the most. And you know it didn't matter that I won a basketball game or my team won or we made the playoffs. You know the the, the, the things I remember that. The greatest joys I got in coaching were seeing the players in the locker room jumping up and down and pouring drinks on each other and, you know, seeing themselves hopefully fulfill their potential and get opportunities that they didn't have uh, prior to prior to playing playing on our team or, or, or the, you know, things like that. So, um, you know, I, I could see myself being a, a teacher and, and a high school coach or uh, just, just taking part in, in other people's lives and trying to give back. All the things that a lot of people have have given to me. Uh, I've had some incredible teachers. I've had some incredible coaches, and you know, again, I I'm very fortunate to have uh, an incredible family that's that's you know been invaluable to me. That that taught me um, so many things about about life in general and, and sports, and that have that has prepared me to and helped me be be successful. So I, I I'd like to give back in any way I could, and I, I'd love to to do that being a teacher and uh, but I really hope it doesn't come to that. I, I, I hope I, I hope we get back to sports at, at some point. And there's some smart scientists out there working on a, a vaccine and, and we get back to the sports as we know it.
1: I know. I'm I'm it's just amazing how much we depend on these things and how it just not having them trickle down to so many other things, you know, cl- you know, not buying clothes to go to the game. Trickles down on clothing stores going out of business. I mean, it's just amazing how things are so connected, and when you when you don't have one, how it affects everything. You
2: know what amazes me is the experience. We think about sports. Oh, uh, guys just like sports, or, or football moms just like sports. Is sports bring us together. And I don't I don't like hockey, but there's people in my family that, that watch the the Stanley Cup. We all get together and watch the Stanley Cup or the World Cup. Soccer is not really my thing, but it, it brings you together. You know, if there's a Duke, North Carolina basketball game, people in my family know, you know, we, we got to be watching that. So my entire family is there together and we're talking trash. And, you know, if there's a big SEC football game on Saturday nights. We have to be watching Alabama, Georgia or, or whatever. Right. You know, there's more <laughs> to sports than just the people that play it or the people that like it. You know, it's, uh, it's ingrained in our, our society and, and I love it. And I wouldn't want to be, I, I hope it doesn't come to that.
0: I mean, you just lit up something in me. It's about family coming together. Like that is so real. Even if you don't like it, it still <laughs> brings the family together. I'm just, I'm just blessed that I was, you know, raised in two. Actually, basketball was first, and football. Like my my grandfather and my late uncle, he played basketball. So. I would go to the basketball games all the time. I would get to get, sit down with the cheerleaders. Like I remember all of that, but it just brings the family together. You are so real. It ain't just about. Oh, I don't know what people be thinking. I ain't even been trying to guess, but <laughs> but that just lit up something to, in me. Like that is so real. Even if you don't like it, but everybody together.
2: My, my yeah, mom has watched more together. more basketball and more football than she would ever have wanted in her entire life. But she got to spend, you know, I, I can see her spending a lot of time with her family and loving that her family is, is enjoying is that together. and that made her happy.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm.
2: brings us together, you know. Right.
0: Especially grandparents. You know, like uh, Miss Cameron went to Soto when they, when we always had to go to the the semi finals, and that's yeah. when the grandparents come out, right? Yeah, everybody come out.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When you
0: get when it get close to the state, I'm talking about the whole city. You see the grand, you see the the grandmother, the grandfather, the aunties. yeah, everybody, everybody. It's just so awesome. Like, and then the kids see all that support. Like, dang, my grandpa out here, my my
1: uncle, everybody, you know, not just my mom and my dad, you know? So yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Totally yeah. Agree. So coach, what advice would you give someone interested in pro sports? Who's not currently at a recognized school of their choice?
2: An a- an athlete trying to, trying to break into pro sports.
1: Yeah. But they're in that at a, at a school that's not that popular
0: good
2: question yeah so you know what well, one thing that i think is really cool uh, over the past few years especially in basketball i can't speak to other sports but uh people have started to realize that there's a lot of talented players all over the place mm. and they don't just come from michigan state and they don't just come from from the university of texas uh they're, they're everywhere some 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 kids come out of the woodwork and play it at, at lehigh and cj mccollum was was an nba draft pick most people never heard of lehigh you know probably probably never will because it's not a, there, there's no reason to it's uh, a tiny tiny school in pennsylvania that, that plays in the patriot league that that doesn't produce nba players um you know cj got drafted by the portland trailblazers who's whose best most visible player damian lillard uh went to Be- weaver state you know so the portland trailblazers are being led by a weaver state graduate and a lehigh graduate and these are two of the best guards in the entire nba you know competing with russell westbrook and all these places so um, you know don't 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 sell yourself short because i only play it at a certain level and you know kids, kids, you, you can get anywhere you want to get to from from any level and it was really interesting to me watching the last dance you know michael jordan's story on espn recently scotty Pippen. Most people have no idea where Scottie Pippen went to school. You know, tiny UCA.
1: Kids. That's where I went. University <laughs> of Central Arkansas. Went to well, school you, with Scottie.
2: <laughs> but you're not most people. You you know what's going on. <laughs> but people say, ah, oh, Scotty Pippen, and, and you know, I mean, how many people would know he's he's from UCA? You you got to be a basketball lifer or, or something, or, or from Arkansas maybe. But he's a, he's a, one of the fifty greatest NBA players. You know, Dennis Rodman. Where did Dennis Rodman go to school? It wasn't UCLA or Kentucky or, or North Carolina. In the G League, even, uh, we had a kid come to open tryouts, which are, you know, anybody off the streets that, that we've never heard of anybody. And he was so impressive that we brought him onto the team. Uh, you know, this was October. It's a kid we never heard of, never seen play. Uh, the kid scored 35 points twice for us, was our starting two guard, and is now making six figures in overseas. And it's a, a Division Two player that I had never heard of, never watched any film on. People that come to these open tryouts never, almost never get, get that kind of opportunity. But he's a, he's a talented player. And our general manager said, man, who, who is this guy? And I said, I don't know, but he's, he's pretty good. And, you know, he, he saw something in him. And he got an opportunity to showcase his, his skills on our team that, that maybe he wouldn't have got somewhere else. And this Division two player was better than a ton of, of high major Power Five conference players. And and he showcased it night in and night out. And people say, where did this kid come from? I said I have no idea, but I'm just I'm thankful he he walked into the gym that day. He made me look a lot smarter than than I was. So you know, just just having that faith, believing in yourself. And I think another thing, whether it's the recruiting process or or trying to play at the highest level, is figuring out. I, I don't think people realize you have to figure out what people are looking for at that level you're trying to get to. So at the Division One level, what are coaches looking for? At the NBA level, what are coaches looking for? You know, and the example I give is, you know, 10 years ago, or I guess it's been 13 years ago when I was in the NBA, the five men, the big guys in the NBA were, you, you could put them in a box. And this was, this you could write down three or four things. This is exactly what they're going to do. They're going to play with their back to the basket. They're going to post up. They can be big and slow. That's okay. But the game is completely different. So a guy that was really, really talented in that NBA in, in 2007, you know, might not be able to play in, in today's game because what they're looking for in five men these days are size, athleticism, lateral quickness, uh, ability to shoot threes. Uh, a big guy shooting threes 13 years ago was unheard of. I mean, you were you were laughed at and you were mocked. And, and now, you know, five men shoot 100 threes every day in practice. It's just part of, uh, part of the game. So things have changed and and you got to realize what, what teams are looking for. So if you're really good at X, Y, and Z and in the league or this team or, or that level, they value A, B, and C, you know, you're, you're kind of out of luck. So I think taking that approach to wh- wh- what are people looking for? What are the skills I need? What is prioritized uh, will help you, help you get there because you can be really good at something and it, it might just not translate to either the pro game or to the division one level
1: now that's good um so let's uh tell the parents as far as college the parents are coming out of high school what is something that a college coach is looking at in recruiting their 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 child what what kind of attributes should um should our college coaches looking at when they're when they're looking at recruiting
2: so, again, it, it, it kind of comes back to that evaluation process. And I think it's, it, it's a crazy process. I've seen some, <laughs> some crazy things go down. But uh, the most interesting thing to me is that coaches, you know, e- even in the same conference, can be looking for the exact opposite things. Uh, I coached at Lehigh. What we were looking for in a player was completely opposite to what our arch rival down the street, Lafayette, was looking for so somebody that could be a star at lehigh might not even get any interest uh any phone calls any letters from from lafayette because not because they weren't talented enough just because what they were actually looking for was very different and that, that's where i think it goes to doing your research and finding out whether it's your aau coach or, or somebody figuring out trying to figure out what what teams are looking for um you know and if they're they, if they don't like your style of player or, or your skill set, it's it's going to be a lot easier to change the school that to find the school that is looking for your school skill set than it is to switch up and, and try and just become this different player. Um, so to me, there's a couple of things that stand out in in basketball. Uh, you know, shooting is the number one thing across the board at every level that teams are looking for. Teams just they just shoot shoot threes left and right. They, they, they chuck it up there uh, at every level. If you can really, really shoot, if you're an elite shooter, uh, that is always going to stand out. So it doesn't matter if you're slow like me. If you can really shoot, that's going to stand out to almost every coach. Not every coach, but that, that's really a skill that, 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 uh, that translates uh, lateral quickness and size is something that, that a lot of teams are valuing. Um, it's less about the position that you play these days in basketball and more about your versatility. So, um, you know, when, when you have, when you have that size and you have that lateral quickness, those are two things in basketball that that really stand out. So, um, you know, it's not a great answer, but I think the key is figuring out what, what each coach is looking for. Uh, because, you know, I I've seen coaches watch some really good players and say he couldn't play for us. And I just thought, wow, that, that that's crazy. But I understood where he was coming from because he didn't fit into our system or he didn't fit uh, what we were looking for. And and it's not just coaches on, on different teams. I sat in on on recruiting meetings, you know, where the head coach, I said, coach, this guy's really good. And the coach said, he's, he's nowhere near good enough. And what he was looking for, and he's the boss. So, again, it comes down to figuring out what not the assistant coach likes, but the head coach because he's the guy making – making the decisions. And that's, that's a tricky task, but uh, you know, if you could figure that out, you know, if you can see how, how their teams play, maybe you can figure out what style of play or, or what's important to the coach. Sometimes it's, it, it's hard to do though, but uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the best piece of advice I, I can give.
1: I think for uh, NBA, they're getting taller and taller and taller. I have a nephew. I think he's six, Four or something like that, and he's wishing that he grows two or three more inches, and I'm just like, you're already tall, <laughs> but you i mean you got you're looking for players that are six eight six, nine i mean taller is that almost an automatic ticket if they're like six, eight, six nine, seven feet tall
2: so I'll say I think it used to be because. The game was a little different, and if you were seven feet tall, you had a you had a legitimate chance. And now, you know, there there are guys in the NBA playing that same position that are six eight, that are incredibly athletic, that have this wingspan that they can just you know stand flat footed and and almost touch the rim. And teams have realized that uh, speed and length are more important than than height. You know, if if right. if, if you can't move your feet. Uh, the game of basketball has become too athletic and too lateral. Uh, you you can't be slow and play the game. So a six six guy, you know, is more valuable. Maybe if he has long arms and lateral quickness than than a six nine stiff who just can't move. Uh, mm-hmm. Because the, the skill set they're looking for is is versatility. Guys that can guard multiple positions and things like that. And um, pretty much these days, there's there's five guys on the court. Obviously, one through four. You know, many players uh, are, are being asked to switch and, and to guard all, all those positions. So a guy that's 6'9", 6'10", playing the four position is going to be consistently asked uh, to guard point guards. You know, Russell Westbrook and these, these incredibly athletic freaks of nature uh, that I have no idea how they got so big and fast and quick. But, you know, that, that's, that's the task they're being asked with. And, and on some teams, that's one through five. So um, size always helps. You know, wingspan is, is always important, but the, the biggest thing I think um, is that I guess a combination. You know, if you're if you're five eight and quick, you know you're you're fighting an uphill battle. But uh, if you have some decent size, that that athleticism, that that lateral quickness specifically, there's some guys who are fast, you know, who might be able to run the hundred uh, or the four hundred or something like that. But in basketball, it's that that lateral quickness, that stop and start uh, that some guys seem to to have, and others others just don't.
1: Now, do you do any kind of evaluation where um, players can send you their highlights and stuff, and you evaluate and kind of tell them areas that they um, should work on? Do you do anything like that as far as training?
2: So, no, not not typically uh, in the G League. You know that you're not allowed to uh, have much interaction with, uh, you know, high school and 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 college uh, athletes, unfortunately, until they until they become professionals.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, you restricted? Okay. Okay. Well, it's been wonderful. I think I've learned um, that G League is the league that's in the United States versus going to another country. (laughs) And making $35,000 in six months is, you know, and not that's if you can save it all, that's that's pretty good, you know, because right
0: because they get free home uh, boarding, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, some people work yeah, and make, so make seventy thousand a year, so they make thirty five and half in doing something they love to do, and so the other half will be um, working a real job, I guess.
2: So a lot of times they'll, they'll spend the summer's training and, and hopefully they put themselves in the win- position in the winter, uh, you know, to get a, a, a six figure contract overseas. So, um, you know, it, it's a great opportunity. And like you said, if, if they're smart with their money, it's not a lot of money, but it's uh, a lot more than it used to be. And the opportunity that they get is, is what's really invaluable because, you know, if you go and make $35,000, that's not a whole lot, but you can turn that $35,000 into 200,000 a year in Italy or 175,000 for, for the next 10 years, you know, that's, that's, that's a pretty decent living. That's a pretty decent life for you and your family.
1: Now, you know, where, um, you know, the football team has 53 on the roster, but 32 teams, and then you have your teams in Canada, but compared to, even though it's 15 players on the, nba team but you have so many uh overseas is it kind of average out to be about the same amount of
2: players same amount of players
1: opportunities for basketball as it is for football because there's so many more teams in basketball than it is in football
2: yes i'm not i'm not an expert on the, the, the the professional football system to me, it seems like there might even be more opportunities in, in basketball because there are so many other leagues. Uh, I don't know of a ton of other leagues in in professional football. I know there's right. a uh, you know there's a professional basketball league in the summer in Puerto Rico. There, there's a league in Mexico. There's a league in almost every country. Some countries have two tiers. Japan has two tiers. Uh, Germany has first and second division, I believe. Uh, you know there, there's teams in Lithuania and Russia and and kind of all over. So uh, to me, there, there's there's a great opportunity. And I know some, some people get hung up. I want to play in the NBA. And to me, if you can make uh, what I would say is a lot of money, $175,000 a year is a lot of money, 100 grand a year is a lot of money to me to play professional basketball. Uh, that's a great opportunity. That's a great life uh, yeah. for yourself and to provide for your family. So you know, there, there, there's nothing to shortchange or, or uh, be unhappy about if, if that's your path.
1: Right. Because, you know, uh, I the, we had a WNBA player, Shakina Strickland, on. And so she was just saying that over in the other country, they are almost like worshipped. Um, the fans and stuff are so much. I mean, it's like the bomb. You know, <laughs> your celebrities over there in the other countries versus here, WNBA. So I imagine it's that same way for NBA player. I mean, basketball players in the other country, too. So it might be worth it to go play in another country. So but uh, so is there anything else you would like to tell our parents as we're coming to a close? Any other nuggets you want to tell them about
2: recruiting? Yeah, so with recruiting, you know, a couple of things that always stood out to me. Uh, you know, just just do your homework. You know, be prepared for the process. Talk to people ahead of time, you know, find out the rules, ask ask questions, uh, understand that it's probably the first time, you know, you're going through it as a parent, or maybe the second time, it may, maybe, but uh, the coaches go through this hundreds of times every, every year. So they're very, very good at their salesmanship. And, you know, don't let the coaching staff explain the process to you because, I never, you know, I never wanted to lie. I'm a very straightforward person, but I would frame things. I would frame my answers in, in a way that was telling the truth and putting my program in the best possible light. And maybe I was giving you the answer, maybe not the full answer, maybe not, oh, hey, down the street, this school actually does it a little differently. Hey, this is the great things happening at, at my school. So, you know, uh, you know, know that process or, or figure out that process. Ask people outside of, of the universities, the AAU coaches or the high school coaches, anybody, someone that's been through the process, you know, have those answers before you go in because every school, you know, that, that they're not going to be dishonest. They're not going to lie to you. They shouldn't, you know, but they are always going to frame things that that put things uh, in the best light for, for their school. So, you know, the other thing that, that stood out, people didn't people were so appreciative of of being involved in the process, being on the phone with a college coach or uh, coming to visit campus. Nobody really put coaches on the spot with tough questions. And if my child is is ever fortunate enough to to get in that, that uh, opportunity, I'm not so sure that'll be the case, but we'll see. Uh, You know, I'd put, I'd put coaches on the spot and I'd ask them tough questions, you know, and, if you're really interested in me that there there shouldn't be tough questions we should be able to have a an honest discussion you know where am i on your on your recruiting list you know where am i on your depth chart have you offered other players at my position because one of the main my main jobs as as an assistant coach was to have a deep recruiting list where i could keep keep some kids uh on the list but kind of keep them at arm's length so if we didn't get our top tier guys we still had had players to go and recruit that that we didn't hadn't just forgotten about well you know those those players on our b list they could be somebody else's on somebody else's a list so you know ask tough questions put people on the spot and you know do i do i have an offer offer a scholarship offer on the table or not can i accept that scholarship offer some some coaches will offer scholarships and say you can't accept it until this date at that point to me that you no longer you don't have a scholarship offer on the table so okay you know to me you show you show your interest in me by letting me know you know you send me all these letters and these calls but i don't have a scholarship offer from you so okay at least i understand where i stand in the process uh with you you know so so put people on the spot and do it in a tactful way but uh, i don't think it's um, wrong to, to to ask tough questions that that really let you know where you stand and um, help clarify your you know your your family your student athletes thought process in, in in a tricky in a, a tricky evaluation process you know and then a couple other things I I think or maybe the last thing I think you have to value your opportunity more than your level and C J McCollum you know could have. If, if somebody had had been smart enough, he, he could have walked on at Michigan State or Ohio State or, or something, and, and he could have played at, at those places. I don't think he becomes the player he does. Well, I, I shouldn't say it. He's the hardest working guy I've ever seen in my life, and I think he ends up where he ends up regardless of what happens to him, he, so he may be a bad example. But I, I think people underestimate uh, the opportunity that you have to be on the floor and to play. I don't think players on the bench improve. You know, I think they learn some things. I think you become a better basketball player. I think you become a better football player by playing football and having the opportunity to play through mistakes, to be the guy that's getting the ball, to be the guy that the team is relying on um, and to being in the position where when you make a mistake, you're, you're, you're needed and you get to play through that mistake. You get to learn from that opportunity. Uh so many places, you know, if you go and you're a freshman, you come off the bench, you make a mistake, you go back and sit on the bench. You you just don't become a better basketball player uh that way. So value the opportunity of playing and, and not just being not just being wanted because in the recruiting process, coaches want everybody, but some play some places you're needed. And when you're needed, it's it's very, very different. Uh you're going to be treated differently, you're going to be valued differently. Uh, if the opportunity that you have coincides with the level you want. Fantastic. If you want to go to uh, wherever, if you want to go to SMU because that's that's a really good basketball program and they have a need and they you know then then it's kind of a a perfect fit. But that opportunity that you get is more is more important than than the level that you play at because you can be a division 2 player and end up in the NBA. You can be a walk on and, and turn yourself into a scholarship player or turn yourself into a pro uh, you just have to have an opportunity to showcase yourself That's good. so i think that might be all all i got
0: miss <laughs> Karen, is you stuck <laughs> you on mute you're on mute you're on mute
2: I've been talking too much. She, she went on mute.
0: Yeah, you on mute. 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 Push the mute, but... <laughs> well, guys, until she figure it out.
1: <laughs> we finna go. Thank <laughs> you for watching the show. <laughs> I
2: appreciate you guys having me.
0: Thank you, Coach Kruger. A lot, a lot of nuggets have given us not even just in basketball but in life
2: Yeah, thank you i appreciate in life.
0: it sir. and so hopefully we can take that and run with it in life
2: because i love you doing i yeah. love your show. Yeah. i'm yes. excited for you i appreciate you having me on wish you guys the best thank of luck
0: you. thank you sir all appreciate right you. well miss carol <laughs> all right can you hear me yes i was trying to tell you you on mute oh <laughs> all right
1: then well it's been a great show and um you guys will be back on tuesday stay tuned all right this is my host that's right i'm karen see ya